All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to another episode of the DFO Rundown. It's actually the Rick Nash episode number 61. I'm Jason Greger flying solo today as a Frank having some uh, extra time off. He's actually visiting one of his really good buddies who's playing his last pro season. So Frank went over for his season opener. Pretty cool. So uh, there you go. Of course, uh, our show now is presented by Fantrax, the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your Dynasty League, Keeper League, or Redraft League. You want to do it for hockey, you want to go to Fantrax.com. That's F-A-N-Trax, T-R-A-X.com slash D-F-O rundown. That's where you can register and you could win an autographed Nathan McKinnon jersey and uh, hey Nathan McKinnon uh, he's one of the guys in the Tim Hortons commercial that will be ready to start the season the other one Sidney Crosby will not he's gonna miss at least the first week of the season potentially longer and that could be huge news for the Penguins in that ultra tight Atlanta division and our guest today Mike Rupp will talk to him about that division but more importantly with Rupper we're gonna talk about the Danbury Trashers, it's the documentary Untold Crime and Penalties. Mike was on that team, and it's a crazy story of like Slapshot come to life on the ice. And uh, you know, there's a little bit of maybe, you know, Tony Soprano off of the ice. It's a, it's a 
mesmerizing documentary. I highly recommend it. And Rupper was in it. And he's going to give us some more uh, behind the scenes stories of what went on in uh, during the lockout season for him in 2004, 2005. Of course, uh, he will be our uh, big guest in the woodjerseys.com studio today where you can take your officer fan cave or any room to the next level you'll see the uh, boston bruins jersey behind me that's a wooden jersey it doesn't look like it it's fantastic intricate work check it out at woodjerseys.com and it's an official licensed nhl product as we are going to welcome in now mike rupp and we welcome to the dfo rundown he is a stanley cup champion scored two goals in his first nhl game against a future hall of famer also works at the nhl network but most recently i think he's known more for the fact that he was a member of the danbury trashers <laughs> on the uh, on the new netflix untold crime and penalties documentary mike rupp joins us mike how you doing man I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on, buddy. And uh, yeah, quite, quite the uh, quite the intro. And it's kind of true. I actually, you'd be surprised, especially now. I mean, I can't even imagine it. Uh, how many more people are going to be like, "Hey, didn't you play for the Trashers?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Hey, man, I did a few other things in in my career too." But uh, yeah, we'll stick with that because it's uh, quite the topic nowadays. Yeah, 14 games in the regular season and 11 in the playoffs. And hey, Mike, I really appreciate you doing this today. I know we had, we booked this a while ago. And uh, you're, for those who are wondering why you're doing this in your car, you're a trooper. <laughs> Mike's actually outside the hospital because his son is getting his nose reset yeah. after breaking it. What, what happened to your son? Yeah, well, uh, as you can see, I, I did not go and get mine fixed at any point <laughs> in my life. So mine's still like this. And I don't think he wants his to be like mine. And um you know, you, you sit there as a parent sometimes and you wonder if the kids are actually listening to you. But um, I think he, he did in this instance because uh, I always tell him anything you do, I want you to give it your all. Don't do it if you're not going to do it. But he gave it his all in gym class at school and, and ran into someone's shoulder and shattered his nose. So he's got to get it fixed today. So I don't know if that's exactly what I was talking about. But, uh, hey, you know what? You got to you got to live with uh the, the you know kind of that mindset so uh yep we're here everything's good and i uh, appreciate you guys adjusting but i gotta do it in my car hey no problem how many times you break your nose when you played you know what's tough is like i i, I broke it in the ohl um where it was clear that it was broken right like it, it, it actually moved from the it used to be straight and uh <laughs> it, it just kind of never it never really felt like it set again. You know what I mean? It was always feeling like it was a little displaced and fragile. I mean, it was clearly displaced, but it felt like it never really got stronger. So I, I don't know how many times I broke it, but it, it, it moved quite a bit <laughs> over the years. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I was always told at that time too, as a play, hockey player, like then, no man, don't get it fixed. We'll have to re-break it again. And then it just becomes more and more frail and, and it's going to be less and less. that's going to make it happen. So I think it's just kind of uh, uh, the look I've had and, uh, you know, I don't know, I haven't fixed it. Oh, hey, that's all good. Now let's get to the Trashers because now this, for those who don't know, this is uh, in the UHL in 2004, 2005 during the lockout. And this was, you know, you had, at that point you had played 83 NHL games over parts of a, of a few seasons. You'd won a Stanley Cup. Heck, you scored the game-winning goal in game seven. We're going to get to that uh, a little bit later on. Um, I've watched the documentary is fascinated by it. I'm considering myself a hockey junkie and I didn't really know that much about like the story. And obviously it's, it's more so about the, the Galianti family and what they were doing at the time, but take us back Mike to the lockout season 
and uh, why you elected. You were a young guy. You're only 24 years of age. Why you elected to stay home at that time rather than go to Europe and then ultimately ended up in Danbury with the Trashers? Yeah. So um, there was obviously the the lockout and that was unfortunate for everybody. And a lot of players were being a little more proactive and and going and playing in Europe. And uh, I was awaiting uh, my second child, which is the knucklehead that's in the hospital right now. And um, he was just born uh, November 30th. So it was kind of that time where I knew at the beginning of the season, all right, well, let's just hope that this season is going to be up and running and we'll just kind of, uh, I'll just keep training and and doing my thing and being ready. And um, once the, the season was officially canceled, um, you know, my son had, uh, had some issues where he, he had had some breathing issues that have all been corrected and been fine now. But at that time, I just didn't feel comfortable going to Europe. Right. So I didn't know. I mean, there was times where we had to rush him into the ER and, um, I I just didn't feel, you know, confident doing that. So I was kind of sitting around as a 23, 24 year old thinking to myself, what am I going to do? I have to play this year. Everyone's saying that, you know, as a young player, you've got to play, but I also felt like I couldn't go to the American league. Right. Cause I felt like I was kind of uh, going against the the players association because I was at that point considered to be an NHL player. So I was kind of in this middle land and uh, I, I played in, in Albany in the American league with Chris Ferraro and I got to know Chris and Peter Ferraro, the twins uh, for those fans or, or people watching that remember the Ferraro twins um, and uh, Chris and Peter knew my situation and they called me up and said, Hey, we know you don't want to go to Europe, but uh, we heard through the grapevine, there's this team in Danbury, Connecticut, that uh, the owner is very motivated to win a championship this year. He wants to take advantage of this lockout and get some players that he normally probably wouldn't be able to get. And uh, your name came up. So I was like, yeah, um, I'd love to hear what they have to say. And, uh, you know, started talking to, uh, to them and it kind of set up a plan where, uh, I only had to play 10 games to qualify for the playoff roster. And maybe they had 25 games left or 30 games left or so when I, when I signed on with the team. So it was literally, uh, I got to stay in Erie, Pennsylvania and practice with the Ontario hockey league's Erie otters, my former you know junior team. I got to practice with them during the week and I would just go in every other weekend and uh, they'd fly me in, play a couple games. I had to get to 10, and then I stayed during the, the entire playoff, uh, I guess, run. And, uh, yeah, so it ended up just being the perfect situation for me where I can get moving, I can get playing, but I can also uh, be at home and take care of what I needed to. So you'd heard about the team. How much did you know about the team and, and the Gallianti family at the time? And, and explain maybe kind of your first walking into the dress room or maybe the first time you looked at the roster – and was like, oof, they got to, like you go up and down that roster, man. <laughs> like Mike Rupp's going in there, you're like, I don't, I don't think I ever have to even lay a body check. Like that was a pretty tough team. Yeah, no, and and um, I spoke to Jimmy. So what 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 ended up happening? You know, I I spoke to Jimmy Galante was the was the owner. He you know he was the the dad, and he was awesome. And he was telling me about you know how whatever they wanted in Danbury. He's um, just got this new team has dumped in uh, all this money and, and renovated this arena and all these, all these great things. Uh, for me, what I cared about is what was the brand of hockey? I, I didn't know what it was going to be. And I also said to him at one point was, you know, Jimmy, I, I, I know how it is when I was in the American hockey league and a guy got sent down from the NHL, you always want to, I mean, that's the measuring stick. 
you know, it doesn't have to be physically. It doesn't have to be challenging him, fighting him or whatever. It's just, it's that your, if it's a, if it's a goalie that gets sent down or he spent some time in the, the national hockey league, that's an opportunity to show that, you know, in your mind that I can score against a, a national hockey league player. So I felt like for me, I thought I'd be challenged a lot um, in guys wanting to make it to the next level. And that's not what I was signing up for. I needed to get my legs moving and play. And uh, so I just said to him, Hey, I, I just don't, my only hesitation is, I mean, I'll go there. I mean, I, I play a certain style and the way I played, I mean, that's not going to change, but I'm, I'm not going to go there and, and, you know, fight every night. Like I'm not going to go there and sit here and, and, and to go here and just uh, practice fighting. You know, I want to go and play. And I remember he stopped and he just goes, yeah. <laughs> I'll do my best Italian voice. He goes, Michael, when we're done with this call, I want you to hang up, go on the internet and look at our roster. Nobody will even look at you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. All right, whatever. So I, you know, dumped the call. I look it up and I'm looking at this roster and there's a, a poof. I mean, you're, you're talking probably 30 some games left in the regular season. There's guys on this team. There's multiple players with over 250 minutes. I think there was someone over 300. There was about, I'd say all in all, probably eight to nine guys with over a hundred penalty minutes. And I'm thinking in some of the names that I'm seeing, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like what's going on here. So um, it was, it was great for me because I was able to go in there just like this documentary where they, for the fans that didn't see it, it was a great introduction introduction to me uh, in the documentary because they're going about this and saying like, uh, I don't want to give it away too much, but, Jimmy, the, the dad, goes to the son, who's the GM, the 17-year-old, and says, get me a blank and goal score. And I'm watching this on my couch and for the first time, just like everybody else, the day it was released. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wonder, I wonder, who, I wonder who they're going after here. They're going to, you know, they talk, they talk about the NHL lockout. They're going to get a goal score. I wonder who they almost landed. And then they showed my mug on there and I was dying laughing. So it was a nice situation for me that I got to go in there and play the game. And uh, he assured me. Nobody would be looking at me. And I'll be honest, not too many guys looked up from their laces when they played against the Trashers. <laughs> now, uh, AJ, of course, was the GM at the time. He's, he's 17 years of age. He turned 18 during that season. And, you know, he, he actually put together a pretty good team, right? Like, obviously, I know his dad had some input, but were you kind of surprised at all? What's your first impressions when you're like, we got a 17-year-old GM. What the hell is going on here? Yeah. So I, AJ picked me up at the airport actually. So I, what I ended up doing is um, I had that original conversation with Jimmy that I mentioned to you, and then I wanted to come in and watch a game. So uh, he flew me in. I landed the, the airport up in Westchester, uh, New York and, and uh, or white Plains, I believe. And uh, AJ comes and picks me up. So I see this kid coming and, and really at this point i didn't know like it wasn't told to me by jimmy like my son is running this team i just knew that he was a part of it and so he picks me up and then basically um yeah we picks me up he's got his his big diamond earring in his ears and to be to be frank and we could joke about it like he he you look like a punk you know i'm yeah. like wait well, hold on I'm like, this guy's do this guy's running our team. Like what, what's going on here? But then I started talking to him how passionate he was. And I started realizing he's got some, uh, 
he, he's calling all the shots here with this roster. And, and uh, I, it was kind of fun. It was fun just listening to him talk. And, and even from this documentary, he's a really bright kid that uh, he's, he's a go-getter. And I'm just, the, the, you know, I'm like, all right, let's see what this thing's all about. So you get there to Danbury, you go to your first game. Obviously you like it. So uh, you elect to sign and away you go. Uh, you know, we've seen all of it about the, uh, you know, the paychecks. And you, you get a paycheck from a different trash company every time you got a paycheck. So when at the time, and now it is, and, and you know, Galeon has been very honest about it. So I, I think it's fair. We're not talking out of school here. Everything's in the documentary. But at that point, Mike, when you're starting to get checks every time from a different company, are you thinking, hmm, something's going on here? Yeah, so I was, uh, you know, I that was really the first, first uh, maybe not the first thing because I, I even mentioned in the documentary like my my agent said to me um hey w- first of all he goes where where did you where did you get hooked where'd you find this guy and I go well they they kind of found me I guess and they reached out to me and um you know I told him through through a couple buddies they that we were connected and and he said ah, like he wants to he wants to pay you cash I'm like what do you what do you mean pay me cash he goes like I, I don't know like I don't know I think he actually wants to give you a duffel bag of of cash. And I'm like, what? I'm like a duffel bag. Like what's going on here? So I, you know, at that time I was like, uh, I just made sure during this. And then, and then from that time I was like, all right, I don't really know what's going on here, but I, I literally thought that it was, you know, I knew that with this team, with some of the guys they had playing there and the way that they built this team, that there was guys that were, probably making more money than the league normally pays. And, but I mean, to be honest, we've seen that in junior hockey 100%. in some places. Yeah. So this isn't something that's that out of outlandish, you know, I never seen it before. So I was just kind of like, okay. And then, uh, so then the paychecks start coming and I don't know what this paycheck is. It comes in the mail and it has some company that I, I never heard of. And so I was kind of like checking on it, like, what is this from or what is it for? And it's from, you know, Connecticut. So I, I kind of put two or two together. And then two weeks later, it's a different company with a different name. <laughs> and uh, from that point, I remember I called my uh, my accountant and uh, and my agent and I said, hey, guys, I don't really know what's going on. But like, I, I just want to make sure that this is on the up and the up on my end and what I'm doing. And, uh, um, you know, they, they assured me that that was the case. And, uh, yeah, that was that I was, that, and that was probably the first time where I was like, I'm not really sure what's, what, what's going on here, but I didn't know any of that stuff because when we're watching this documentary, this is educational for me because I, I didn't know what was going on. We listen, we saw slap shot in real life. That's what I saw as a hockey player. Sure. It was, there's some tendencies and like, if anybody's ever watched the Sopranos and any kind of. Um, you know, mobster movies is, is, is that personality? Was that around that team? Yeah. But I, I didn't see anything happening. <laughs> I was playing hockey. I was in the locker room and I have this 17 year old kid who's fired up and he's like, come look on the computer here. This is the guy I'm going, I want to get this guy. And he, we're on hockey DB and he's watching hockey fights. And he comes to me and asks me one day, you know, Jimmy comes to me and goes, what do you think of Donald Brashear? And I'm like, he's tough. And he goes, I'm talking to him about coming here. You know, what do you, what do you think? I think it'll be a good, you think it'll be a good fit. And I'm like a good fit. I mean, we've got eight heavyweights and he'd be the the heaviest of them all. And uh, he'd be the ninth. And he's like, I'm just trying to figure out if it'll work, blah, blah, blah. 
So that, that's what I was seeing. I was laughing at what we were seeing on the ice because it was slap shot. Oh, it totally was slapped. Like you look, Frank, the animal by Lois, you know, played five games for that team that year. And, you know, Wagner and, and others. And you like, he wasn't in the documentary, but uh, John uh, Nasty Morasti, who's probably yeah. one of the toughest small heavyweights I've ever seen. Like, man, that guy would fight huge behemoths. And he was maybe, maybe 5'10". So Mike, do you have any kind of funny stories like you're on I don't know if because you mentioned like you get picked up on bus trips and you would just join him for the weekend so you must have played a few home games but take us kind of some things that weren't in the documentary that you remember that like kind of sitting back just make you chuckle yeah so I, I you know there's there was a ton uh there was some of the guys so what the way that the team was right so we had we had these these really tough guys and not even just the heavyweights like everybody on that team was pretty scrappy even the goal scores. And that's part of it that you were alluded to earlier was that AJ built a, a hell of a team and we had some goal scores and we had some guys, we had guys that were playing there that could be playing in the uh, maybe fringe players or, or, or decent players, middle lineup players in the American hockey league. They're playing down the United hockey league. And so we had that. So inside the room where it was almost like, I don't know how to, uh, the team was really close. We became, we were the bad boys. Yeah. And it was almost like us versus the world and the way that the ownership and the way that AJ and the way that everybody there treated us, they, it, we were treated like it was, we were an NHL team. It just, it, it almost started like the wall started closing in and it's just us. Right. And we became very close, but also inside that landscape as, as players, you see players that see the game differently. Right. And we had eight guys who are sitting there and they're looking across the way and saying, Oh, that team has one guy, one dancing partner for eight of us or two dancing partners for eight of us. Well, I want to be here. I get treated like gold there. I remember guys would say to um, <laughs> some of the skilled guys, you maybe didn't fight as much. You'd be like, Rupert, wait, do you see, wait, do you see when this game starts? And, and, and the way do you see the guys that'll just look up to the owner's box and just try to get, and they would sit there and they would just got guys were always looking up, looking up, looking up. And it's like, they were seeking approval and almost like getting gestures to, you know, and one of the guys told me that there was a time where they looked up and just saw they saw this and then it started a brawl. And so it's almost like in baseball, right? They're doing the signs you're, <laughs> and guys are just going out and they're starting to brawl. So it, it became funny because we would get together after games or on the road or at home after games, go out, grab a bite to eat or, and grab a, a beer. And, and guys would be telling stories about the week before because I wasn't there. I didn't play every weekend. And and it was about, uh, you know, I heard stories with with Frank uh, by Lois, oh, where it was, um, guys were on the bus and then all of a sudden the bus stops and they open the door and the lights to go on. Guys are waking up, rubbing their eyes and they're looking, they're like, who the hell is this? We pick, we're picking up a guy at a truck stop and it was Frank by Lois. He'd come in and play for a couple games. Uh, the, 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 the one Greg's that gets me is the, um, <laughs> and you mentioned John Morasti. And, and this is something too, that we talk about this in, in, all the time right and, and over the years and maybe it's changed a little bit now because i think the league used to be very structured like the nhl was scoring line one scoring line two checking line you know fourth line energy guys right that it, some teams still have that kind of build but a lot of that's kind of bled together and you have a lot of interchangeable parts now so it's not as prevalent but um we know that back even when i was in the american league there was players in that American hockey league, there's players today in the American hockey league that are more skilled and better than 
25% of the, the NHL players. The problem is in that league, and we all know this over time, we've talked about it um, extensively, is if you can't play top, if, you, if you're that type of player, but you can't play top six in the NHL just because there's the, I mean, you're talking world-class at that point. What are you doing now to be valuable on a nightly basis? And can you slot in as a, a checking guy? Or can you slot in as an energy guy? Can you have specific roles, whether it's penalty killing, block shots, face-offs? And that's where some guys get left to the wayside. Well, in this case, with fighting, there's tough. I mean, I fought in the NHL quite a bit. I couldn't hold a candle to some of these guys that were fighting in the U-Haul at that time. And those guys were tough. John Morasti was pound for pound, one of the toughest guys I've ever seen in my life. I think this guy, if he uh, um, you know, had other parts of his game that can get him into the NHL, he could have gone toe-to-toe with Ty. He could have gone toe-to-toe with anybody. You could not hurt him. And so he's on the team there. And, and uh, the story that I have about him is, you know, he was one of the one of the heavyweights and Barry Melrose, Steve Levy owned the Adirondack team in the league. And I guess they made a comment um, publicly about uh, I guess Barry did about uh, uh, Tony Soprano running that team down there in Danbury. And, you know, I've talked to Barry about it since and Steve, we laugh about it now. And I, uh, you know, cause it was, when we see each other, when I'm done playing and through the, doing the media, they're like, how did you get to Danbury? And that, it became a rivalry between Danbury and, and Adirondack because of uh, his comments pretty much. And I remember he said that, and then that really set off our owner. And, you know, he thought that that was take, you know, poking fun at, at, at what they're doing and, and making a mockery of them. And he made pretty much a vow that there was going to be hell to pay every time the, these two teams lock up. Uh, moving forward. So uh, the way that my schedule was, once again, is I just sat and looked at the calendar. I needed to bang out 10 games to get in the playoffs. So I said, all right, I'll go this weekend, uh, skip that weekend, uh, you know, I'll play this weekend and, and, and did all that. So I'm playing in, the, in Michigan and we have a three and three where we're bouncing around Michigan and we're going from game to game. The next weekend is the first time playing Adirondack since the comments about Tony Soprano. And so I'm on the bus and I'm like leaning back on the bus and I'm sleeping, right? Like with my head against the window and uh, the seat behind me is John Morasti and nasty uh, is like talking on his cell phone, but up he's trying to like muffle what he's saying, but he's talking literally right into my ear because I'm sitting in front of him. And I pick up from this conversation, obviously only hearing one side of it, that he's, it's a recruitment call. He's recruiting for next weekend. And, uh, not the a conversation. No, 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 no. <laughs> the conversation was, I would. I woke up and I listened to this. I'm like, this, this needs to be a movie. Like this is this is Slapshot, and he's the the conversation. Basically, what ended up happening is it's it's him recruiting Chad Wagner to come oh, in and God. play next weekend. And I don't know who Chad Wagner is at the time, but I, I learned that he was. Uh, um, kicked out of uh, uh, a couple leagues or a league at some point uh, up to that point. And the conversation that basically Nasty's having is, and I'm hearing one side, I'm hearing, hey, Wags, it's Nasty. What's up, bud? How are you? Good. Blah, 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 blah. Just, you know, exchanging pleasantries. And then he says to him, um, what are you doing next weekend? Uh, the owner of our team wants to send a message to these guys that are, uh, call them Tony Soprano and whatever. And, uh, we're looking for a couple of players next weekend. Can you come out? And then there's a pause. And then he goes, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know you, 
no, I know you haven't played in four or five years. Now, I know that. I know that. Dude, and, and then he's like, no, I, I would assume you're not in shape. He's like, I'm not in shape either. Who cares? You're you're coming out here. You're not coming out here to play hockey. You're coming out here to run around for a game, and then you go home. And uh, so then he's talking. I don't know if, if he was working or ran like a lodge or hunting. It's something I was picking up that he was talking about somewhere in Western Canada was where, where he was at. Yeah, he's from Calgary. And, and, and uh, so he ends up saying, uh, all right, uh, you know, I just hear him. All right, cool. Let's think about it. Let me know, blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> we get off the bus and I go to a couple of the other guys. They go, guys, I'm not here next weekend. You guys got to let me know what's happening because I'm hearing some recruiting going on on the bus. And what ended up happening in that next game, and it was in the documentary, but they didn't really break it down because there's so much. I, I, I guess not to get sidetracked, AJ told me and the producer with Netflix told me that there was so much content. So of all these untold, and if you haven't seen all the untolds, this one is fantastic. I think it's gotten the, the number one views of the series up to this point. But my my favorite one, as well as the, the Christy Martin one, is yeah, incredible. Oh, man, that's a moving one. I mean, all of them are great. But they said we had so much content to break down. This was the longest one, but we still had to eliminate 30 minutes. I mean, so there's all these little stories and they're huge stories. And this is one of them. They recruit Chad Wagner. He goes in there. Uh, I don't know exactly. I, I think he played three games, three games. I, I think if you checked it, it might be three shifts or four <laughs> shifts. Yeah. So you can, you know, average that out. And he's what he got 79 minutes and penalties or something. And in this game, I don't I'll probably messing some of this up for someone that was actually there, but um, he went out starting fights, brawls, whatever they put him in the penalty box. And then they, they leave, right. They, the referees skate away to probably deal with some other ruckus. And he leaves the penalty box, skates across and goes in that Adirondacks bench and grabs their coach and starts wailing away on their coach. So, uh, that's obviously not allowed. And, uh, he got kicked out of the, he got banned from the United hockey league, but, uh, the, the, the stories like that are absolutely in, insane. And we just, that in 2004, Greg, you've been around the game. You, 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 you know, a lot in, of, of the history of the game that that hasn't been seen. I mean, maybe since the seventies, you know what I mean? Like that was, that was so strange to have that type of craziness and everybody in Danbury and, they loved it. They ate it up. Like, honestly, when I was watching the documentary, it reminded me, obviously, the 70s, you know, the Broad Street bullies and stuff, but the Western Hockey League in the 1980s, the new Westminster Bruins, uh, you go back yeah. when you had Manson and Baumgartner with the Prince yeah. Operators, like, it was... It was mayhem. This, you talk to Kelly Chase and those guys, like in the Blades, that team was tough. Like every team had seven or eight, kind of like Danbury. Every team had guys like that. Yeah. It was like there was, you know, line brawls. There was bench brawls up until kind of maybe the early 90s. And then it's and then it's kind of cleaned up. So the fact that it had come back. And what's funny, I think a lot of people gravitate towards that because most of the fans, they know they couldn't really do it. Right, like they're up in the crowd. Yeah, we're loving this, but push comes to shove. I don't want to be the guy fighting, but I love watching the guys do it. And for the most part, you know, the linesmen jump in. No one's really getting that, you know, like it's not like a street fight where somebody's maybe curbing you or something stupid. So I don't know why, and maybe it's because I grew up with it, but man, watching the documentary, it was, I was just like, God, this is real life slap shot. It was unbelievable, yeah. right? And so was there a Ned Braden on the team? <laughs> um. 
there was times where we had to, because again, getting lost in all of this is we had a really good team yeah. and we had some guys you could put the puck in the net and some, you know, leading goal scorers and point getters in that league. And there was times where in that locker room, there had to be a little, there had to be a voice of reason that popped up. Hey guys, let's close this game out. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, you know, there had to be times where, you know, someone had to play parents and say, it's time to come in now. And, uh, there was a couple guys on the team and the leadership there that it was a good balance. The guys knew that the guys knew what, uh, but, but at the same time, and I want to double down on that guys were treated. So you're talking about players that have played in, they, they probably played in uh, some of the players played in the American league. Some played, some had games in the NHL, like room in the door. Um, and uh, they had uh, Mario, Mario LaRock, who was a first yeah. round pick by the Tampa Bay lightning. I mean, there was guys who had the influence from the top, top levels uh, of the world, but then there were some that didn't. There were some guys that were just trying to continue to play hockey and they were playing at low levels and uh, they, you don't, not that you get treated bad. You just don't have the amenities, right? It's, it's a grind. I mean, minor league hockey, the NHL is a grind and we get wined and dined at every turn. You know what I mean? It's a grind mentally. It's a grind physically. Now you start taking some of the everyday uh, traveling and maybe the lack of amenities where you're staying. I mean, it's that guys are treated better in Danbury. So these guys wanted to be there. So if they were brought in there to fight and they didn't fight and someone else on the team did, they didn't want to lose their job. So that's where there was that balance. Like, Hey guy, I understand that. I understand you, you know, you, you know what, and you're a pro, you know what your job is, but right now we gotta, we gotta win this hockey game. And uh, we had a good balance with that. I felt in those games I was there, we, we, we won almost every game. So it was hard to really uh, at that point we were on a roll and uh, we, we were entering into the playoffs. You go into, can you talk a little bit about just the atmosphere in Danbury, Mike? Like, you know, sold out barn. Uh, what is it? Section 102, I think, in the yeah. movie. It was kind of like, the, you know, the dog pound in Cleveland. Like, that's where the real diehards were. Yeah. How, how is, because, you, you know, you've been in the NHL. You you scored a, the game-winning goal in game seven of the Stanley Cup final. Like, you've been at the pinnacle. So, I, I think you understand, you know, high emotion games and the energy of a crowd. But, Man, on on the broad on the documentary, Danbury just looked like like that place was rocking and it was a madhouse. It was nuts. It it really was nuts. And that arena, I don't know every uh, detail and logistically how they figured all this out, but I know that the Galante family, uh, Jimmy, uh, that was part of it. Is that he uh, built a wing to the Children's Hospital? He had. Uh, football fields named after him hockey rinks uh he did so much in the community and uh you know you can say that we've seen this in some movies before but the community loved him so much it's like he won over the crowd right that they supported what he was putting on the ice here so then once it started having this different feel to it the fans and, and I, I never knew about it and I don't know if you've ever heard about it, but I, I learned about it then. And I've, I've kind of asked a few people that are in that area of, of the country, um, you know, that Connecticut kind of New York um, stretch in Massachusetts, apparently the new Haven, new Haven had a team for years 
And that crowd was different. And from what I've been told, they were bloodthirsty fans in New Haven. And New Haven didn't have a team. The NHL wasn't there. So this was like, uh, this was a a different year where Danbury geographically was located in this place where the New Haven fans came in. You had the Danbury people who loved Jimmy and everything. He was about that blue collar, tough, rugged kind of personality. And then you had some Ranger fans that would come down from uh, different parts of New York. Then once they started finding out what this team looked like and you started having the, the, the fans who had that appetite that would come down, it was nuts. It was, <clears throat> I, it was fun. It was crazy, but there's also times where you're sitting there as a player and you know, I, when a player on the other team is laying on the ice and he's knocked out. Yeah. And I've been at both ends of that in a fight or a hit. I've been at both ends. I've seen it happen to players. I don't care who that player is and what you feel about that player. It sucks. I hate it. It's not a good feeling. And we're sitting here. I'm, I'm laughing because it happened, you know, years ago and whatever. But do you see a player get knocked out? And these lunatics in section 102 are throwing a body bag on the ice. <laughs> and I'm like, they're hoisting a body bag. You know, like when you go to, you see on concerts, they're hitting yeah. beach balls around. These guys are throwing a body bag through the section. So now all of a sudden this body bag gets launched onto the ice. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, like that's a little much. <laughs> but it's like, I, you can't do anything but laugh. These people were nuts. And that made that place so difficult to go in and play. Jimmy kept adding seats, building onto this arena over the course of this first season. Uh, of uh, an expansion team there. And uh, he was adding 500 seats, adding 700 seats, adding a hundred more seats. And it just got crazier and crazier as the season went on. So Mike, uh, you guys finished that year. You didn't win the championship. You go back to the national hockey league, of course. And then uh, in the, the Oh five Oh six season, they, they make it all the way to the league final. They lose in the league final, but then right afterwards, of course, uh, you know, it comes out, there's the big FBI investigation. Where were you and what's going through your mind when all of a sudden, you know, you hear the story about, you know, Jimmy Galante and, you know, he's being arrested and, and then obviously the team's folded and they're out of the UHL. Where were you when that happened and what went through your mind? Yeah. So I was, you know, I stayed in contact with um, some of the guys on the team and I knew that next year that uh, the team even got better. I mean, they got better that second year. They went out and they got some even more goal scores. And, you know, I think about it from this standpoint, when you're playing against a team like that and you're a goal scorer in that league, oh. why wouldn't you want to go play for them? So you don't have to have these, <laughs> these guys coming at you every night. So they, they, they ended up kind of expunging some other goal scores from other teams and, and they were even better uh, the second year. And so I stayed in contact with guys checking, Hey, how's it going there? You know, got any stories. And um, <laughs> you know, I didn't hear too much that year, but then at the end of the year, I was in Columbus that year um, with the, with the blue jackets. And at the end of the year, I got a message from one of the guys and it just said, uh, Jimmy got raided. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And so then I got an article sent to me from the, I think it was a Danbury paper. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, what, what is going on here? So it was really nuts because it, it, it's, 
it's hard to, you know, I don't, I didn't know about any of that stuff going on. I don't know. I mean, uh, once again, we were there to play hockey and we got treated great. And as far as I knew Jimmy and the way he talked to me and AJ and the Galante family, first class, respectful, would do anything for you, give you the shirt off their back. I got nothing but love for them. I don't know what happened, but it happened. And then all of a sudden everything just got quiet and no one knew anything. And I knew some players were being questioned by the FBI. And, um, you know, fortunately, I wasn't a part of that. It wasn't something that I had to deal with. Um, and guys, you know, I think it scared a lot of guys. You know, guys were – I know there's some guys still to today that don't really want to talk about it. They're like, that was – I don't – that was weird. That was that was a strange time. But, uh, you know, it's it's something that happened. And uh, I'm just, uh, you know, at this point now and, and be able to see – years later um aj and and seeing him in this documentary and how he's done so well for himself with his boxing gym there and um you know they sound like they've uh you know i talked to jimmy and it's great hearing his voice again uh it's 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 hard to say because i i think that some people would sit there and say how do you how do you say this guy's a great man he went to prison all i know is what i saw you know what I mean? I, I, it's all, all I know is he was a, he was a guy that had my back and, uh, you know, he, he was, uh, uh, it, it's just good to see them again and, and see that they're doing well and that AJ's doing well, but the story just absolutely needed to be told. And it was way too long a silence. And the fact that they contributed to this made it all the, all the better. So when they approach you, is that the reason you agreed to be in the documentary? Cause you knew their family was going to talk openly about what happened. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, I've seen some movies before too, Greg's like <laughs> ESPN magazine. I was playing for the Minnesota wild. The ESPN reaches out and the, our PR guy in Minnesota is like, Hey, ESPN wants to do an article. Did you play for some team in Connecticut or something? And, and I'm like, yeah. And they go, they want to, they want to um, do a story. So I said, uh, all right, well, I want to find out some stuff about this, about the story they want to do. And I asked if uh, the Galante family was participating in it and they weren't, I think Jimmy was still serving his time and there was no buddy on that side to, to talk about it. And so I'm like, no, nope, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, you know, I mean, there's nothing really for me to say. You want me to tell some crazy hockey stories? I'll tell them. Cause I, I played, you know, like you said, 14 games, the regular season, the playoffs, and it was a blast and the friendships I, I created there and the crazy uh, hockey stories. Uh, I could tell those all day. That's all I knew. I'm not going to go. I don't know what the article is going to do, but I don't want to be a part of something that's going to paint this to be uh, these guys are, 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 are evil because they're not. And uh, so <laughs> we end up, uh, I say no to that. And so when this time came around, I actually got the a message from, um, the producer and he says, yeah, I'm a producer with Netflix and we want to do a story on the trashers. And I ignored it at first. I was like, yeah, right. And then he called again and left a message again. And then finally I, uh, I said, all right, well, was the Galante family participating and, uh, they will be a part of this to tell their side of things. And he said, yeah. And I said, all right, well, give me AJ's number then. So he gave me AJ's number. I checked in with AJ and he's like, yeah, man, we're good. Uh, let's tell this story. This is crazy. And it, uh, we had the time of our lives during that time with this hockey team. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. So, uh, that's kind of how that all, all came to, about, um, came, you know, to fruition. One last one. Uh, there's always great characters in every show and every story. The equipment manager 
for the Danbury <laughs> Trashers. Like, uh, man, uh, probably one of the funniest scenes ever is when they're showing him coaching the kids, Mike, and he crushes. <laughs> that kid looked like he's 10. He's like, man, cocaine's a crazy drug. Like, is that his personality in that documentary, it seemed legit. Was it was he that guy in real life? Yeah, he was. He was he was a very the different part about it too, and I don't think it'd be hard to to be able to fathom this. Again, I don't want to I don't want to make it like, you know, watching movies and, and and saying whatever, but you're talking about so that yes, he was rough around the edges that way. If you crossed yeah and offended him, he was he was he was a little nutty like that, but at the same time. He's one of those huggy, kiss you on the cheek, like family. Like that's all that place was exuding. And just as a hockey team, we had something special be from that. And so he, uh, Pompasello uh, was crazy, but he was, he was also in it with you. You know what I mean? And it's almost to the fact where if something bad happened in the game, it's almost like you're looking at, at Tommy and be like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't. Like, yeah. don't respond, man. We're good. This is hockey, you know, but, uh, yeah, he was the, he, he took care of a lot of the intangibles with them, with that team. I didn't know that he was, uh, stealing goalie pads and doing all those things. I remember he said something about cutting water before cutting the hot water, but, uh, I, I don't want to, you know, that's, that wasn't the first time I ever heard of that happening, no. but man, he's a character and, uh, yeah, he was, uh, uh what was the first, first, uh, equipment manager ever suspended, right. From the league. Yeah. Well, hey, Glenn Sather back in the day in, in Edmonton used to cut the visitor bench short. So the guys had to sit closer in Edmonton. So uh, guys doing gamesmanship has happened at all yeah. levels, uh, some uh, more deeper than others. Uh, Mike, I love it. I, I would highly recommend for everybody who hasn't watched the documentary the, the, and the whole series. I agree with you. I just saw the tennis one. I haven't seen it yet, but it just came out. I want to watch that one. But uh, Untold, this one about the uh, Danbury Trashers. It's uh, crime and penalties. It's fantastic story about uh, their two years in the UHL commissioners involved uh, lots of the parties and then of course there's there's the other side the family side of the galante and they don't hide behind really what happened there so uh, i really like it uh, of course uh, you work for the nhl network mike so i, I got to get a few thoughts quickly um of course uh, you know you're out east you played out east a lot i want to get your thoughts on that uh, the atlantic division this year because you got pittsburgh and philly and washington and carolina and the islanders and the rangers yeah. an upstart team and some people even think new jersey maybe but are the Pittsburgh Penguins in big trouble with Malkin not starting the year and now Crosby missing at least a week, maybe longer, that maybe this is the year that you can't dig a hole in that division? Yeah, they're, they're, I, this is, I do uh, work in Pittsburgh there, but I think it's really important to do this job to, um, to speak when things are good and speak when things are bad or speak when you, you give your opinion on which way you, or when you don't know which way it's going to go. Uh, I like this Penguins team. I like this group, but I think they took a step backwards this off season. And, uh, as far as the need of their team, as far as taking this, they needed a step forward, just like every team does, but they had tough, they had it tough with just like every team with the flat cap, it hurt. And so how are we going to improve parts of the lineup? Uh, that that's, a. Uh, um, they made some very shrewd decisions, um, they could pay off. I mean, that's why these guys are in these positions to, and the good GMs make the under uh, undercover moves work. 
but now losing and having Evgeny Malkin missing a chunk and now Sidney Crosby not going to be ready on time. Yeah, I think uh, to your point, this is not a division that you can you can come out of the gates and, and, and struggle in. And uh, I think the biggest question with that team is which Trish and Jari are we going to get? And now if you're without your two superstar centers, you know, are you not going to get that run support? So this has put even more pressure on a, a, a goaltender like Jari. Um, they've got some things to figure out. I do believe in the group. I like the group, like I said, but it's going to be tough because I actually think in that division, I think the Islanders are still going to be right there. I think the Islanders are going to probably be the team to beat. Um, they have a couple issues. I think they need to figure out maybe to clean up on the back end a little bit, but they, they'll be a really good team. Uh, Washington Capitals, you can't ever kind of count them out. Um, the New York Rangers, I, I'm expecting them to be pushing. I wouldn't be surprised if they get in this year. Uh, they should at least be a bubble team in that aspect. The Flyers uh, made a lot of changes. I mean, this, this is a tough, tough spot here. Uh, but the one thing the Pittsburgh Penguins have done for years, and it's blown my mind, and uh, you know, every team can probably say this, and every fan base is probably like, well, what about our team that did this? They have lost so many man games over the last – I since I played there, I played there in 2010, 11, uh, they lose so much every year and lose their superstars for stretches. And for some way, somehow they still win hockey games and get in the playoffs. That's what shows that uh, that's what makes them so tough. You can never count them out. So uh, it's going to be very difficult though. They can't start slow because that division is going to be tough. Mike, uh, we, I really appreciate your time. Uh, we always end our conversations with rapid fire. Uh, the only okay. rule, you have to answer every question. All right. All right. Uh, let's do some, it. Are some are tougher than others. We always like to have a little fun. All right. The, uh, the first one, who is your favorite head coach? Favorite head coach, uh, Dan Bilesma. How come? Do, do we want explanations or just answers? <laughs> answers Dan Bilesma. I, can, I can follow up. You can follow How up. Come? I'll give you a chance to follow up. Dan Bilesma was my favorite because he uh, – when he played, he was, you know, he was Disco Dan, and there's some stories out there about what he would do uh, in the locker room to keep everybody loose. And he brought that element um, early on in his coaching career. And he would sit there. It was fun to come to the rink, man. I mean, we came to the rink. You wanted to be there. He'd get in your face and just be. He was one of the guys. He'd go up and he'd just start spraying water in his face while he's wearing his suit before the game starts, showing how jacked he is for the game. And he goes out there for the first period. He's just got water all over his his shirt and tie. Like he was. He was kind of a clown and it was refreshing. And I know that from the team in 2009, that's what the guy said. It was different. They had Michelle Terrian before him and it was a, a change of pace that they needed at that time. So he was, he was awesome to play for. Uh, after a big game or just a, a tough night or a, a long night at the NHL network, what is uh, Mike Rupp's cocktail of choice? Cocktail of choice. Oh man. Since this pandemic, I'll tell you what, I'm like, uh, I'm like, uh, I'm all into making different cocktails now. I've, I love, uh, I make a mean old fashioned now. I love my old fashions Classic. and I'm starting to get into this uh, um, to make the new fashion is, is a little different, but, uh, the old, the old fashions, my go-to, I love it. Oh, I love it. I ever had a Negroni? No. Oh, dude, you got to try it, man. If you like, it's a little bit sweeter, a little bit sweeter, but Negroni is a great one. Get a Negroni next time you're out. Yeah, absolutely. I'll try that. You got to okay. send me a text me, text me the name of it. I, I mean, will. you just told me, but I, I'll forget it. All right. Uh, your favorite warm-up song on any team you played for? Favorite warm-up song? Um, 
Ooh, that's a. We had in Pittsburgh. Our everything is very before games in the NHL. Uh, it's I got a feeling black eyed peas, and okay. and I'll tell you I'll tell you why. Uh, I don't actually love the song, but uh, for warm ups before you get up to go out for um, the actual game. Um, and you, everything's so structured, right? And it's, it's the same thing over and over again. And we had the same thing when the clock hit here, this is when I got a feeling comes on and we use that to walk out that's inside the locker room. It's not played in the arena. And it was hilarious because everybody, it was like that song went on and for basically 82 games, the same stuff happened at the exact same time. It was like, you're living in an alternate universe. Like uh-huh. these guys would be dancing, doing the same thing. Guys would wait to this part of the song and they'd make a gesture and then do this. It was incredible. So that was like a real, uh, I felt like a bonding song before we got going. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, if you could have played any other pro sport, which one would you have wanted to play? I would have loved to play football and you look around, you see the NFL players now and, uh, I don't know. I just felt like I had the the build to be a, a tight end and and playing football. I'm not saying I would have played the the NFL, but I love the game of football. I still love it now, and uh, I got my team, the Browns, that are making moves, and uh, and uh, that's where my attention will be uh, outside of hockey this year. Okay, now this one will be tough, but you have to pick one. You only get one choice: Niedermeyer or Stevens. No back, no, no backdrop. Like, are we talking game seven? We talking no, just this on, we on, th- your, just on your team. You get to have team. one on your team all year. Oh gosh. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Niedermeyer. I'm going to say Niedermeyer. That's a really hard one though. And, uh, Scotty, I love you to death, man. And, uh, but, but needs, needs Scott Niedermeyer. We've heard it many, many times from different people. And when I got called up and I was playing in New Jersey, my first year, I still remember Stanley cup finals against the ducks and Scott Niedermeyer sitting there and he's got a dime sized sweat on his undershirt in between periods and uh, right in the middle of his chest. That's it. No wet around his ears, not breathing heavy. This guy legitimately, if you allowed him, I'm not kidding you. I bet you he can play 45 minutes in the game. Like he, he would play 45 minutes and he would be great. And he was that good. I don't think that there is anybody that I have seen that even now with the great defenseman in this league, and there might be some that are better offensively than Scott Niedermeyer was, but he can play all day long. When you get a guy that can need that many minutes, and you're getting quality minutes. I'll take that guy all the time. I love it. Um, your first NHL game was in January of 2003 against Roberto Luongo. You scored two goals. You're the first star of the game. Later that year, after missing, and I mean, you missed like two and a half months from March 29th. You didn't come back and play until June 2nd. In your fourth game, you have a goal, two assists, three points. You win three nothing in game seven. It was that the greatest six month stretch of your life from January to June? When you look at how the bookend of two goals to start ever, three points. Like Mike Rupp, if you just took those two games, Mike Rupp's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> um, 
you know, I think that that's a, you know, I'm never going to, I know what I was as a player and I knew that I had to change my game to stay in the league. Cause like we talked about before, I knew I was drafted in the first round and I, 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 think the idea was I was going to be a big, uh, a, a big bodied centerman that would play lines one or two, but it didn't work out that way. I didn't, I couldn't consistently have offense in the NHL. I just wasn't, I didn't have that part. So I had to change my game around. And, uh, you know, I know that, uh, uh, but with that being said, I also know that whenever there's an opportunity in my career on big games and big stages, I don't know, that's like, what I did growing up on the driveway, everybody did. Right. And I wanted that. I, I, I wanted the puck on my stick, even with playing with Scott Niedermeyer and Patty Elias, Scott Gomez. And, you know, I knew that I was in good hands with those guys, but at the same time, I wanted the puck on my stick. And I think that's really important for players to have, no matter what kind of player you are. Um, and so that stretch there, uh, it, it's funny. It, yeah. It was a crazy six months. But there's a lot of ups and downs, man. I mean, Greg's. I almost, I almost quit hockey in the playoffs there prior to that because I, um, you know, I was a young, a young player who thought I showed enough in the regular season. I got left off the playoff roster, and um, at the time, I didn't think it was. Uh, I didn't like it. I didn't think I was getting treated fairly. And hindsight, it was the right move. This team went out and got veteran players that been through the grind. Grant Marshall. Um, he took, you know, he played and, uh, they had veteran players, Turner Stevenson, these guys that uh, knew how to manage games. I didn't know how to do that. And Pat Burns didn't want to take that chance. So I was in the playoffs and, and as a black ace, you, when you're skating every day and we were skating, we weren't even in New Jersey for part of it. We were in Albany and we were skating and almost to the point of getting sick, like throwing up every day. We didn't even have a goalie for part of it. So we weren't practicing with anybody. We weren't scoring on goalie for two months to do this every day and do workouts. I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm out. I'm not, I'm going to go home. <laughs> and then something in my head though, was like, no man, you, you don't do that. Like you'll never play again. And uh, it was a real learning lesson for me because I learned that it's what, you know, not to get all philosophical or anything, but it, I learned that it, what you do when no one's looking is what matters. And if I didn't do that, if I didn't double down and just say, you know what, suck it up. You're not, you're not quitting on this and, and whatever. Um, when I got thrown into game four of the Stanley cup finals, I never would have been able to do what I did. Yeah. If I would have not taken those two months of training seriously, I never would have been able to do that. And that's been the highlight of my career. So uh, yeah, I was nuts. I got called up on my birthday, January 13th home game against the Florida Panthers. Uh, Earlier in the game, I deflected one, went past Roberto Luongo, goal went in, they reviewed it, and I'm in front of the bench while they're reviewing it, thinking, oh, man, how cool would that have been if I, like, I think it was high-sticking, like, if I got a goal in my first game, they said no goal, waved it off, so I'm like, all right, as the game goes on, Jim McKenzie gives me a pass, I shoot it, I I end up picking a corner on on uh, Bobby Lou. And I get my first goal a couple shifts later, Patty Eliash puts one on the platter to me, and I, I bury a second goal. And from that point, I was like, if I never play again, I did it. You know, I scored. So it was pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, that was a crazy stretch there. But, um, you know, it, uh, it set the bar really high because I thought <laughs> I thought uh, playing in New Jersey, I was looking and that was 2003. So they won 2003 or we won 2003. They won in 2095. So I'm like, hey, in eight years, three Stanley Cups, like if I just stay in this organization, I'm going to be at back at the finals for like probably five more times. 
you know, I'm going to, I'm going to win multiple cups. And I never saw the finals again after that. Yeah. Well, it's tough. Uh, last one for you in the documentary, when they're interviewing Mike, Ruff, you had a real long beard. Did you purposely grow it just to have the aura of being a trasher? <laughs> I wish I could say, yeah, but no, I just, I, I don't know. I had a few times from my going long beard, short beard, and, and just try, I, I, they caught me at a, a very bushy time with my beard. Uh, I wasn't going for that, but I thought it fit in quite oh, nice actually. Dude. I, I, th I thought you were one of the trash collectors, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, uh, this good. has been fantastic, man. I really appreciate it. I look forward to watching you again on the NHL Network, and I know you'll be part of my show on TSN 1260. So uh, we look forward to it, and I hope your son knows gets set. Yeah, I'll send you a picture, and uh, we can compare. We'll do a side-by-side. -side. My nose, his nose, tell me what you think. Maybe I should get this done afterwards. <laughs> awesome, man. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, Greg. Mike Rupp was our big guest delivered by DoorDash. Restaurants and more delivered right to your door. If you haven't tried it, now's the time. Use the promo code RUNDOWNDD. Gets first-time users 25% off and no delivery fees. Remember, that's RUNDOWNDD. And that was a fantastic episode with uh, Mike Ruff. I highly recommend it. If you haven't seen the documentary, Untold. And watch the entire series. Not just the uh, Crime and Penalties one, but for hockey audience, you'll love that one. Every one I've watched has been spectacular. The Bruce Jenner one, uh, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, right? Uh, that, that one's fascinating uh, as well. You have uh, the Malice at the Palace. So there's lots of them. So I'd recommend the series on Netflix, Untold. Uh, by the way, brothers, it was great. It was really good. And uh, once again, uh, Frank will be back on uh, Monday. He's uh, touring around. He's, a, he's actually, uh, I think he's in Switzerland, just going to see one of his good buddies going to play his last pro season. So uh, as a good friend, he flew in to watch the home opener. That's pretty sweet. So uh, Frank will be back on Monday. In the meantime, uh, thanks for listening, uh, everybody who listens, and uh, big thanks to uh, Fantrax, who of course now is the, uh, the new title sponsor for this month. Creator, join your own league and dominate your draft. They are the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry and the uh, leader when it comes to hockey. So check it out at fantracks.com slash DFO rundown. You can register and you can win a Nathan McKinnon jersey. Thanks for listening to the DFO rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. 
All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.